Moncrief on News Talk. 106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. Time once again uh, uh, to chat with Jonathan DeBurka Butler as he brings us some stories from other parts of the world. Afternoon, Jonathan. Sean, how are you getting on? Uh, right, Germany is our first uh, port of call here and I suppose uh, an example that even now uh, they're still hunting down Nazi war criminals. Yeah, it's it's mad really when you think of uh, you know how long ago it was at this stage um, but they're still pursuing these people. And in this case, it's a 95-year-old woman um, who is living in a care home at the moment near Hamburg. Now, she's been charged, she's actually been charged in relation to more than 10,000 cases in in relation to a concentration camp called Stutthof, uh, which I think was near uh, modern-day Gdansk. Okay, so it was a pretty brutal place, as they all were, uh, and about 65,000 people died uh, in the war. Um, in that particular concentration camp. It it was one of those places where they didn't start killing people until towards the end. And um, uh, it it wasn't just Jews that were killed there. There was was Russian soldiers as well and and non-Jewish Poles. Um, So, uh, yeah, pretty grim story. So we're we're, we're not 100% sure at this stage if she's actually going to face trial. Um, So... They're waiting. I don't know what they're waiting for exactly. I mean, they're still investigating a role as such uh, and, and how involved she was. Mm. Um, but even when she does face trial, if she does, it's unlikely she'll get a very long time um, in jail. Uh, if she does even get a sentence, it, the, the, the sentence will probably be suspended, um, given that she was a, a juvenile at the time uh, that right. these crimes were committed. Yeah. Oh, right. OK. So it, it's almost like they know she was there, but they're not entirely sure what she did there. Yeah. So apparently she was a secretary um, and, and her, her case is interesting in relation to another one, a, 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 a conviction that came about last year by the name of Bruno Day. He was 93 and he was a guard and he got a two year suspended prison sentence, even though he wasn't directly involved in the over 5,000 deaths that he was involved in. So he didn't kill anybody but he didn't stop the killing of anybody. And he was mm. actually processed in a juvenile court, would you believe, even though he was 93 years old. Mm. And he was 17 at the time, right? So it's it's, it's mad the way they're going through it. Um, as I said, she was under 21, so I, she probably would have the case brought in that same juvenile court. Um, but it's really interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah, indeed, yeah. Right, uh, Romania we're going to go to next, and this is a, a rather grim story but it's to do with the way the orthodox church baptizes babies yeah so the tradition there is they immerse the infants three times in holy water okay i've seen pictures on it it's basically you're getting them to sit down in a normal baptismal font and you're dipping them forward into it it's really right and it's it's completely it's not pouring water over their heads just completely wrong right and in this case uh, a six-week-old boy suffered cardiac arrest and had to be rushed to hospital on Monday and he died as a result. Ah. They found um, water on his lungs in the autopsy, right? So this has caused outrage, as you can imagine, amongst some sections of of society in Romania. And they've got a kind of an online petition petition together, which has already gathered nearly 60,000 signatures. There's division in the church itself as to whether they're going to even look at changing these practices. So as you can imagine, there's, you know, the more conservative elements who are saying, oh, we'll never do this. This is a tradition that's a thousand years old. And then there's others 
who are more progressive, or maybe can we just say have common sense, and want to get rid of it. Mm. Um, but uh, the patriarch who's Daniel the first, he's the Archbishop of Bucharest. I haven't seen him make any mention of any reform at this stage. So it's probably going to be one of these things where it's going to take a while to happen, but hopefully it will eventually. Yeah. Has it happened before, do you know? Well, this is the thing. A local media apparently recounted several or similar incidents in recent years where, where at least accidents have happened. Um, but this was all over the news, uh, as you can imagine, and it's uh, a horrible story. Yeah, indeed. Right, uh, uh, Guiana we're going to go to next, and uh, they were thinking about a Taiwanese embassy, but then changed their mind. Is that the gist of it here? <laughs> That's essentially the whole story, Sean. We'll move on to the next one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Guiana is, is, is uh, that a small country, former British colony on the uh, east coast of South America, as most people know. And uh, less than a million people live there, but it, it has, for such a small place, it's quite a bit of turmoil um, connected to it. And they had cut a deal with Taiwan where they were going to open an office there, a representative office, right? And uh, it, uh, some people are calling it a kind of a de facto embassy as such. And Taiwan's foreign minister as I suppose is their inclination, because I mean, they're only recognized by just over a dozen countries around the world. So if a country is going to recognize you and sort of set up diplomatic ties, you're going to mm. brag about it because it's a poke in the eye to China effectively. Right. So, so they issued a statement saying, yeah, we we're, we're opening up this office. And then a couple of hours later, the foreign minister of Guyana turned around and said that the government has not established any diplomatic ties. I'm quoting here now or relations with Taiwan, and as a result of the miscommunication of the agreement signed, this agreement has since been terminated. So basically what happened here was Taiwan communicated the, the deal, Guyana got a phone call, and Guyana changed its mind. Uh, mm, I pressure. wonder from who? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and was it just a phone call, is it known? Was there a few bob thrown in? You know, uh, what way was the pressure applied, I wonder? Yeah, it, 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 there was actually a statement issued from Beijing where, where they were Taiwan was asked to correct their mistake, okay? Mm. And, and so it was pretty public. So, you know, there, there must have been a, a quiet phone call, but there was also a public statement issued. The other thing for, from Guyana's point of view is they've, they've got Venezuela beside, beside them, right? And they have a territorial dispute with Venezuela. Venezuela and China get on very well together, right? Mm. And Guyana in recent years has just come across uh, a couple of billion barrels of oil off its shore. Okay. Right? And so, you know, uh, there's a deal between a Chinese company, I think Exxon are in it as well, in that area. So they need, to, to cut a long story short, they need to keep them sweet because they are a big player in that neighborhood, something that the United States is not particularly happy about. But when Venezuela is on your front door or your back door and you're a country of under a million people, you're probably going to try and hedge your bets a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it was probably worth their while, uh, you know, disassociating themselves from this deal. Uh, which would make you wonder whose idea was it in the first place and Indeed. did they not think it through um, yeah, yeah. Uh, for that to happen. Uh, right, El Salvador, uh, we're going to go to next. And uh, a couple of opposition members have been murdered. Yeah, so we, we when we talk about El Salvador, we often we often hear of uh, violence. Uh, we often hear of gang violence. 
but rarely, at least in recent years, do you hear about political violence. So, you, you know, there was a civil war, of course, there mm. between 1979 and 1992. It was a classic leftist um, and sort of... Uh, left-wing, right-wing conflict, right, that went on for years and 80,000 people were killed. But they signed a peace deal in 1993, and that has pretty much held ever since, right? And the two major parties, the FMLN, left-wing, and Arena Party, right-wing, have sort of um, shared power between themselves. So there hasn't been really a political assassination on this scale for a long time. So that's why it's getting people's attention because it's, the, as I said, it's the first one in ages. Now, these were just two activists. They weren't, you know, politicians that were necessarily running for office or anything like that. And they were coming back after, I think they were on the back of a truck, uh, coming back from a rally for a local mayor. The mayor of San Salvador, their candidate, was running for it. And a couple of gunmen came, gunmen came along and opened fire on, on the truck and, and they were killed. Um, it comes four weeks before legislative and municipal elections are due to be held in the country. So people are a little bit nervous, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, as I said, it hasn't happened for a long time, so it's not good to see this sort of thing happening again. Mm. Uh, are, are there any clues or indications why this has happened again then? Well, it's straight away it's become political, right? So there's a new president there well he's been president since 2019 young fella quite charismatic Nayib Bukele who became the first non uh, party aligned president of the country he opened he started a new party in 2016 and became president and it was, he kind of modeled himself a little bit on tr on Trump and that kind of st stuff right I mm -hmm. tell the truth you know that kind of rubbish and he's quite popular and and he used to be a member of the FMLN and, and these two activists were members of the same party, but he split away from them. And ever since then, he's been kind of, you know, uh, landing hate on them, I suppose. He's yeah. been, you know, telling people that they're corrupt and awful people. So he's been blamed for stoking the flames. Now, he himself came out in a statement and said that this was orchestrated by the FMLN themselves to garner sympathy before these elections at the end of February. But that seems highly unlikely. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's 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 just tense, and uh, uh, it, 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 this is a president who doesn't believe in the peace treaty really uh, for for various different reasons, and um, he seems to be trying to split these two parties to his own benefit for his third party, if that makes sense. Yes, indeed. Yeah, it, it fractures the landscape for him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, and you know you're getting old, Jonathan, when you describe a president as a young fella. Um, <laughs> uh, right. And Angola we're going to go to next. Uh, was there a rebellion there? Well, this is this is the question indeed. Um, I, I would suggest there wasn't, to be honest with you. Um, so this is... The killing of uh, seven people, um, although they themselves claim there was more, uh, closer to 12 or 13, and 28 others were injured at the weekend. This is after Angolan police uh, foiled a, put a stop to a protest in a village, right, in a, in a very remote part of Angola. So it's nearly 700 kilometers away from the capital. It's up in the north with the border, on the border with the Democratic Republic of the Congo, right? Now, there is a separatist organization there, but it's political, okay? It's called the, the Lunda Chakwe Protectorate Movement, right? They're basically looking for more autonomy uh, for their former kingdom, which was known as Chakwe, right? And they went to uh, sort of 
protest on the streets to call for dialogue with the government for this autonomy. And they were told they weren't allowed. They went out anyway. Police uh, tried to stop them. Riots ensued and people died. This organization is very hard to find information on, which would indicate to me that they haven't been around for a long time. I know they've only been around since 2007. And it would also indicate to me that they're, they haven't got much momentum yet. Mm. But I think something like this probably stokes that momentum or, or will, will give them momentum. And uh, it seems to be a very bad move, uh, other than the obvious you know, negative deaths and that kind of thing. But it seems to be a very bad move. And the police in this region really have overstepped the mark. Um, so hopefully it doesn't lead to an escalation and some sort of dialogue can happen. But it's uh, it's hard to see it. Yeah, right. Uh, of course, nobody likes lockdown uh, in Malawi, though. The sex workers are protesting because of it. They are. Um, they're saying that their their government's decision to impose a night curfew and to close bars is um, affecting their industry uh, very badly. Um, so they've gone out onto the streets to protest. It's interesting because the laws in Malawi say that people cannot benefit from prostitution, right? So you can't make money from it, even though technically it's not illegal, right? So anyway, a couple of years ago, they brought in a, a new law which gave police um, the powers to stop people from loitering on the street, okay? So they could be arrested. So what did they do? Like any good business people, they adapted and they brought prostitution inside into bars and they started cutting deals with bar owners and the like, basically saying, right, we'll work as, as, as lounge women for you and various different things. But on the side, we want to be able to operate. And bar owners were happy to do that, okay, mm. to facilitate that. But now because the bars have been closed, there's nowhere for the prostitutes to go. So they have to go out onto the streets again which means that they're being uh, abused by police. And this is something else that they were trying to draw attention to uh, in the protests. So, yeah, a bad time for them uh, at the moment. Um, I, I have to I have to say, I wonder how the whole industry is doing right across the globe, to be honest with you. Um, uh, something that I've been wondering about for a while. Yeah, well, yeah, you? indeed. Uh, yeah. Indeed, it would have that effect. Uh, right. Uh, we're, uh, uh, our final story, we're going to go to Palau. Is, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, it's up there in the, uh, it's between uh, Papua New Guinea and the Philippines. So it's fairly north uh, in, in of the of this uh, the Pacific Island region. And yeah, their government, uh, their president, uh, a man by the, who has the brilliant name Surangel Whips Jr., has decided that he is going to leave the Pacific Islands Forum. So this is a forum that was put together in 1971. It's kind of their version of the European Union, which I always seem to say. But anyway, uh, and it, to cut a long story short, it was their sub-region's turn to take up the leadership of the forum, right? So, mm. you, 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 and, and they didn't get it. Because of that, they said they were leaving, and now they've been joined by the Marshall Islands, the Federated States of Micronesia, Kiribati, and uh, Nauru, which is that detention center uh, that the Australians used to use. So that means that out of 17 members of this particular organization, five of them have now left. Um, so it's put the whole thing in a bit of disarray uh, at the moment and no sign that they'll be coming back anytime soon. All right. OK. All right. Anything to uh, look out for over the next week or so? Yeah. Uh, Chinese New Year is on Friday. Uh, and then on Saturday, there will be uh, World Radio Day uh, to celebrate, which we'll all be celebrating in the industry. And Sean, just to clear one thing up, a bit of controversy that's that's on the show 
The pronunciation is Le Man. Le Man. Okay. Le and Man. Wh- wh- what does that mean or what does it come from? Uh, it was named, I think, it, so there's a place in Blackrock I used to go there. Um, I think it was named after a priest who did a lot of good work and it's named after him. So it's a surname, but you, you'll have to investigate further. Right. Okay. Jonathan, thanks yeah. a million uh, okay. for talking with us today. Uh, that's another former Blackrock boy, Jonathan DeBurka Butler. Yes, this is a station run by the elite. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Back in a couple of minutes. Moncrief on News Talk.